0: This treasure, Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine forevermore. forevermore. Right, Pastor Chris is gonna pile it all in on one verse tonight again as he's been doing. Has been the custom for the past couple of weeks, which has been really rewarding for me. Um, if you all turn or look at the screen above, we're in First Timothy three, verse seven. And it goes thus: Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Amen.
1: Let's pray together. God, you're so kind to us this evening to have given us time and space and affection and a desire to be here in the middle of a work week, in the middle of whatever it is we're all wrestling through and get into the Bible to get into it and for it to get into us. We know, because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this holy book can only be truly comprehended, truly tasted truly known and lived out, not just in our individual lives, but as we've been studying in the life of a corporate gathering, the local church. It's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that you are active right now. We believe that there's a a supernatural opportunity for all of us to taste your kingdom come and your will be done. What gets in the way is our pride. What's going to hinder us is our sin. And we're so grateful as we sung that Christ alone has made this possible. So that we can, as a family, live the redeemed life, the grace life. Lord, there's a lot that you're doing right now that I'm sure none of, none of us can all fully see. But our desperate prayer is that you would remain active. It says in the Bible that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And so everyone in the house this evening, everyone that's joining online, friends that are visiting, believer and perhaps non-believer, you are active and we pray, O God, that you would act powerfully again and do only what you can do. Open the blind eyes. Soften the hardened heart, save the lost soul, and sanctify your church. Do it, we pray. Fill us with a joy for the Bible. It's not boring. It's so, so good. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's get into this. Let's tie up this part of eldership or um, overseers. We'll move into deacons after. Um, But God, help us now. Thank you for awakening us. Awaken affections for the Bible again and again and right thinking to your glory. Amen. If you have been with us, what's been so greatly emphasized, which is important because the text is emphasizing it, is the personal holiness of the man, right? I must sound like a broken record saying things like that. The holiness, the godliness, the Christ-like character of a personal life of the pastor is paramount. And yet with that said, it's not less than that, but it is more. Meaning the personal holiness of the man, if it's on point, it ought to bleed out, overflow into his public honor. So it's not so much just private. It's going to spill out to public. Another great word to use that's not in this immediate text right here is the word reputation. We all know that word, right? That's, it's the same phrase for thought well of by outsiders. That's the word in the Greek. It's one big word, but in the English, it's reputation. Here's well, The Webster's Dictionary says this. It's the overall quality of character, overall quality of character as seen and judged by people, that's public, generally. That's the word reputation. It's the public esteem or honor of someone or something. Reputation. Right? Scott slippers have the reputation to be what? (laughs) Shaka. What? Someone's going like this. Starts with a D. There you go. I think Scott slippers are durable. I mean, I don't have my Scots right now. But, you know, like, Scott slippers, they have that reputation. Um, Toyota vehicles. See? Have the reputation of what? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we just, they're, they're, they're what? Reliable. You know, to, to, to the general. I mean, some may say otherwise. But um, living in Hawaii has the reputation of being very, oh, yeah, see, I didn't even, you guys could finish the sentence. Right? The, See, that's how you know it's a reputation, though. It's, it's like calm. It, it, the overflow of that character holding is so consistent that it becomes common knowledge. You see that? That's really important to know. I'm really excited to get into the word study of thought well of because in the Greek, it's marturio, where we get our English word martyr. That's Reputation. To live the life of the faith in such a way, with such conviction, that the common knowledge of that character is known to all. You see, the reputation of the pastor is going to be the consistent Christ-like character that is confirmed by the community around him. There's a lot of things I would like like to us to kind of see big picture in this whole text as we've been studying to the pastor and to a close. You you notice in the text from verse 1 to down to 7 how it begins inwardly, aspirations, desires. It's all character attributes, heavy-handed, right? The personal holiness of the man then the handling of the word and then his home life. You know, how, how much do we assess a pastor when we think of those things? We just think about how he talks, how funny he is, how, how his personality how, we, we just think public stuff. And that's why I wanted to go so slow to kind of bring out, no, it's mainly private stuff. But with that said, at the very end of our study, you see how it goes inward to out. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders The pastor's got to have an honorable reputation. I mean, think about it. If the community that that local church pastor is living in thinks he's a mess, why would they listen to his message? Right? If the community in Nuu'anu fought ill of your pastors for whatever reasons... Because the normative general character of our lives, if you know, the the people who walk their dogs around the building, the, the, the lady at the gas station, all the restaurants that we might eat in, they're in our community. They're outside this place. But they interact with us enough to see enough of who we are. And if they think ill, and then they were to visit on a Sunday and sit in the pew and see, that's him? He's the pastor? You see the concern Paul has the the reason why now again, like I said, as we study through this, this is geared towards the pastor, but it's really also geared towards every believer there's two ways to listen to these messages first for yourself because all these character attributes were to desire, and then think also you as a part of a local church how you can pray for and support and hold accountable your leaders that's the two ways this is for all of us, though, guys. Philippians two twelve to 15 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out, not work for, work out. It's your responsibility to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, it's God who's working in you to willing to work. So that's our responsibility, his sovereignty. And then verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, now here's a big thing, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's reputation. In the midst of crooked, twisted, you live a life that's straight. In the midst, and then he says, in you'll, among whom you'll shine as lights in the world. In darkness we shine. That's the reputation. Matthew 5.16, we know this. See that they may... um. Let your light so shine among, among others, outsiders, so that they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father. This, this whole thing about our reputation is a call to all believers, not just the pastorate, but especially the pastorate. I'll give you one more. First Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. I was talking to some sisters earlier about that word. What does Gentiles mean? What is that? Gentiles is the non Jew or the non God's people, the non believer. But keep your conduct among them honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good, good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The reputation, our reputation. Guys, we're called to shine to have a reputation that gives god glory a reputation of a redeemed people we were once like this but because of christ now we're like this and in the midst of a crooked and twisted world before before i kind of rip into the verse i, I want us to really feel and taste like the power of a well lived life the power of a well-lived life. If we care, if we care about our communities that we live in, we'll take great care of our reputation. And I'm not talking about popularity and trying to be likable. We'll get to that. But I want you to ask questions like this devotionally tonight as we work through the, the, the text. What do outsiders think of you? And when I say outsider, just those in your life—your friends, your family, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors—the people you see at the park. Just think of communities that you enter in in your life, and there's probably non-Christians you can think of. If I were to sit with them tonight and interview them, and encourage them to speak candidly about you, like honest kind, Ferrell, what you think about Brada? What you think about Sis? What would they think? Not even what would they say. Because they might say politely to me, you know, he's like coming along. She's like really interesting. But what would they think? You see, the text takes us to a deep level. He must be well thought. You see, God... He cares about the communities around the church and what they think of him. Do you care about what others think of your God, of our God? If I found out that you were thinking ill of my wife or my children, and it was wrong thinking, or if it was right, that would affect me. So this is big to God. Don't, let's not breeze over reputation tonight, because that's the devotional thought. That's the principle we're looking at, the doctrine of reputation. What does it mean to be thought well of, and why are there so many verses that Jesus speaks of, of shining? We're going to get into the verse now, but just to set the tone, because it can at, at the outset it can seem like okay, okay, reputation, but no, this is huge. It's so huge that Paul brings into this. We don't want this guy to fall into the shame and snare of the devil. Let's work. Verse 7, moreover, we stress that in observation time. Gabe did a great job. It's an emphatic adverb. It's stressing the importance of and it's bringing it in conjunction with the the previous verse. So right before this, he's talking about, okay, Brada cannot be a new believer. Don't put the newbie in charge. Nothing against the newbie. If you're a new convert, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a stage of maturity. But make sure that you don't place that guy in the pulpit. And we, we chewed on that last week. What does that mean to be a recent convert? And then it said, he may become puffed up, there may be pride, and that would lead to his downfall. And this is bad, the condemnation, the sentence, the judgment of the devil. And we looked at that, how Christ, I mean, not Christ, how Satan fell, that fallen angel, because of his tantaranness, right? And then verse 7 is just, it's a spillover. Paul is going. Okay, you think that's bad? Get this. More over, on top of that, he must be. This is a qualification necessity. Well, coloss. That's the same word used where he must manage his household well. Remember that? He's got to lead beautifully. Well, he must. He must be thought of. Well, thought of martyria is where we get the word martyr. It means testimony, witness, reputation. That's the word. And by who, though? Who's supposed to have beautiful thoughts of this aspiring pastor? The outsider. What is that? Hannah hit it on the nail. The foreigner. The one outside the house. What house? The house of faith. It's the community, guys. It's non-believers. Now, how does one become well thought of? How does one gain an honorable reputation? Consistency. Christ-like character being exuded again and again. If someone told me Scott Slipper's work and I tried it and it broke... And then I tried it again and it broke. Reputation down the tube, right? That's why he can't be a recent convert. He just hasn't had the time to showcase that Christ-like character. Do we give thought to this? Like, Like think, like really pause and think. How much thought do you and I give To the way we interact with those outside the faith. Like how much thought did you put into your interactions with non-believers today? Just thought. Just how much consideration. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 to 6 says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Wisdom comes from a thought process. (laughs) It's an application of a thought. That's wisdom. So how much thought do you put, do I put, into how we interact with non-believers? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, your words, how did that come off to people today? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So our walk and our words, these are all impressions. This is this is what's going to build reputation. It's not good enough to just have good intentions. You see, for the Christian, it's it's about the heart, but it flows out through art. I could intend very well for you and do it and come off very bad. We've all done that, right? Because you say to, to your, your spouse or your friend, oh, I never mean that. Right? You meant well, but you just... Did it bad. You see, the doctrine of reputation has much to do with the impression. Listen to this. Romans chapter 12. Give thought. This is verse 17 if you're taking notes. Give thought. I'll say that again. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all right before this he's talking about talking being hospitable hospitality is the entertaining of strangers the outsiders you know why a lot of our evangelism and our witnessing is terrible oftentimes it's not cuz maybe we we might know the right things to say we might have all our doctrines tidied up but it's the impressions it's the reputation We give off as we interact with outsiders that, honestly, I think, dishonors the God that we say we serve. Give thought to do what is honorable. Like, how much thought and consideration do we put in in our impressions? How we converse. What we wear. What we're doing. The choices we make. Do you know? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, there's something innately in the world, Psalm 2 says, that it rages against the anointed one. So when they know you come to work, Christian, or come to class, Christian, or come to the park, or go to the gym, or surf in the lineup, Christian, there's something in their heart that is watching you. They're watching you. Let's go back to the interview. Let's say I'm sitting with the person, your friend or the, the person in your community, talking story with them. Oh, so yeah, tell me a little bit more about what you think of Brada. And we're just having a conversation. And I'm not gossiping. I'm just listening. I'm just interviewing with them. And they're saying whatever they're saying. If at the end of the interview I go, you know, Brada's a Christian, you know. Sister's a Christian, you know. I have a question. What would their reaction be? Huh? For real. What? Or, well, that makes sense. I can see that. Or, of course. You see, think about it. That's what the Bible is encouraging us to do. And it just so happens that for the pastorate, brought has got to be an example in this. He's got to lead off well. Here's a heart question as we're talking about reputation. Like, do we even care about outsiders? That's just an honest one, right? Like, do I care? Or just stay outside? You know, like, come inside. No, come inside then. Just stay out. Honestly, how do you, do you, do we pray for outsiders? For those in the community? What if all of us, by the grace of God, became super spiritually aware of outsiders? Like what if when we left the service tonight, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just awakened us with these eyes of the hearts to see outsiders as, as people created in the image of God and, and, and they're valued by God and they're on a path. It's either to God or to not, to heaven or to hell. They have, there's something coming. There's a judgment day coming. What if we were so awakened to the outsiders around us, that we began to, like, pray like crazy for them. And all of a sudden, that the person who walks the dog has a name, has a soul. That, that person, that lady, the teller um, that does the gas for you, all of a sudden, she's, she's not just a, per, a face. She's a, she's a person. She's someone. What happens if we became so spiritually awakened to outsiders that we not only began to pray for them, but we started to hurt for them? Like if I found out that one of our neighbors here is caring for his mom for years and he's 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 a nervous wreck because he doesn't know when she's gonna die. Like what if that made me cry? What if the barista who did my coffee today who who came up to me and just was like, you know, can I ask you a question? Cause you always hear with this Bible. And she starts to pour out her issues and stuff like that. What if, like, we actually became so aware of this outsider that we felt compassion and we wanted to pause life to engage that? Like, like what what would happen if we just, like, loved our neighbors as ourselves? You know what would happen? The church would shine. We would shine. Reputation is such a big doctrine. Because it's the overflow of what we believe. You want to hear what what else Paul says when he speaks of reputation, what it's to be like? How he describes Christian reputation? 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, that thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. He says, you are the aroma of Christ to God. In other words, reputation is like an aroma It's a fragrance. If someone were to take a whiff of your life, you ever take a whiff of something that's just rancid? My wife had me do the smell check. You know, like when you go into the fridge to see what's expired? Babe, smell check. And husbands, if wife ever says smell check, you lay it down. Pick up your cross, grab that thing, whatever it is, and you, you know, so I did the smell check, and it was obviously rotten, and everything in my body recoiled, right? But think, when someone takes a whiff of your life, what's their reaction? Does it compel them to Christ or repel them? Now, again, I want to get to the observation that was brought up by Hannah. And I'm, going to re- and I'm going to answer it with this as I read on. because does this mean that pastors are just supposed to be super popular and everyone likes them? I think not. Because it says here in verse 15, where the aroma of Christ to God. So when God breathes us in, he's like, hmm, that's great. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And then he describes the fragrance to one, a fragrance of death. To death. So in some ways, to outsiders, we're going to smell bad. What do you mean? And then to others, a fragrance of life to life. So those who are being saved, those who get a whiff of Christ and the grace of God, and they hear the gospel that you are proclaiming, not just with your words, but your life, to them, you're going to smell great. But to others who want to remain and live in their sin, guys, we carry a message that is hated by sinners. It's a message that calls all of us to repent of our sins and acknowledge we're all wrong. We're all messed up. And to those who catch a whiff of that life, and then what was Tanya and Hannah's observation of like, well, what if, they're, what if there's pastors who are standing on the truth and they're not thought of well? Well, if it's on that truth and for those reasons, and Jesus said, blessed are you and you're persecuted for my name's sake, well, that's different. And that's commendable. But right here, what we're looking at is the character, the normative attributes of this man in his community. He is respected. He is a man who lives what he preaches. And whether the believer is a believer or not, they'll look at that man and say, I respect it. He lives by his convictions. But it's just crazy. Paul says, our reputation is likened to an aroma Jesus, I quoted this already, Matthew 5, 16, he likens reputation to salt and light. Local people, not that kind salty. You know, when you're the salt of the the earth, he's not saying be salty. You know, the other kind salty, the preservative kind salty, the flavor kind salty, the life-giving kind of salt. You're the light of the world. What does light do? It gives illumination and clarity and warmth. See, a Christian reputation, Christian honor. A life well lived is like a sweet fragrance that points someone to Christ. It's a salt life preservative that heals and mends and wounds, men's wounds. And it's a light that gives clarity. Some of you are confused tonight. And you're in darkness and you're not quite sure what to do. Well, you know, if you were to interact and walk in a community of true Christians, they ought to give clarity to that. These are all descriptions of Christian reputation. And so, my devotional question to us is just like, honestly, how are we doing? Are we salt? Are we light? Is there an aroma of grace about us? And let me encourage you, because if not, if not, if you're squirming tonight because you know you, you call yourself a Christian, but you live in such a way, if I did have an interview with someone that is a non believer, you would fearfully be afraid of what they would say. Hold on, there's great hope because Paul was once Saul, remember that? Roderick never had good reputation among the apostles and disciples. They were scared. And they rightly should have been. But God worked on that man. Took him three years into Arabia. And he went through his own process. And finally, in his ministry, and through many years of just exuding Christ-like character, God redeemed that reputation. He's no longer Saul. He's Paul. If you have a bad rep, a good question asks is, how are you rep in Christ tonight? Honest kind. What would the outsider, what would the community say of you, of us? And if we fall short, thanks be to God. For Jesus Christ, who came and bled and lived righteously in our stead, and he did die, and he was buried. And he was risen, and he offers you and I his righteousness amidst your jacked-up reputation. And he says, come to me. I will redeem you. I will restore you. I will make you whole. So hold on, brother, sister, if you feel tonight my reputation, my representation. I've been a terrible ambassador of Christ. There is grace for you. There is hope for you. doesn't matter if you're young or old. I've tasted the grace of God in this way, in so many ways. In my short 36 years of life, I've, going from four different schools into a myriad of different churches, I've gone through reputations up and down. And oh, by the grace of God, he redeemed this poor man. And he can do it for all of us. And it just so happens in our context, for our text, for the pastor... This is why it's so important. He must not be a recent convert. He doesn't have that rep yet. He hasn't carried himself in the community just yet enough. So the first point is this. The overflow of his humble character, the overflow of his humble character is an honorable reputation. I just want us to see how this is all flowing together. It's the overflow of the humble character that's working itself way out now. Christianity is all inside out. From the heart to the art, that's how this works. And for the pastor, he's got to be exemplary. And to finish the second half of the verse, and we'll be pal tonight. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare... Of the devil. So we've considered the power of a life well lived. So now let's consider the pain of a life that is not. Right? He, speaking of who, the aspiring guy who wants to be a pastor. Right? Verse 1. I like that he gets singular here. So that he may not fall into disgrace. Onedismos, it's a word of insult, shame, public reproach. Remember the elder in verse 2 is to be above what? Reproach. So in many ways, the recent convert, if he's put into such a position of leadership prematurely, he doesn't have a chance to show himself above reproach. So if you put him there, you're setting the dude up. The brother up, we are setting the brother up for failure. Do we see this? You see how it's the concern now Paul has is for him, the man? He's going to fall into shame, into disgrace. And then when it says into a snare of the devil, it's better understood he's going to be put in a place to be ensnared by the devil. Satan is all out to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John 10.10. So if we set the Brada up who's immature, he doesn't have humility, he doesn't have maturity, we didn't assess him and and his character, he's not been tried or tested, and we put Brada up in a position of prominence and leadership in the church family, what we're doing is we're setting up the ball, we're teeing it up for Satan to smash it out of the park. Because think about it. If you're the enemy and you're all out to steal, kill, and destroy and defame the name of Christ and give everyone in the outside a reason to not go to church, give everyone in the world a reason to not trust Christ, then I would think it's a wise strategy to get the leaders. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And, oh, look at this local church. They're going to appoint just anybody? They're going to just put any kind of brada up there? they're just going to hastily put that guy into office and not really biblically test him, then what we are doing is showing, if we do this as a church, if your leaders do this, children, if you do this, then what we're doing is showing, one, a, 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 a lack of care for the man because he's the one that's going to fall hard. And really a lack of care for the name of Christ. Here's the last and final point in closing. A hastiness to a point. A hastiness. I use that word because Paul brings it up later in um, 1 Timothy 5. He says, don't be hasty in laying hands. And he's speaking of the office of elder. But a hastiness to a point is harmful for the man aspiring to the office Right, what's, the, what's one of the greatest ammunitions all outsiders have of not want, why your friends don't like come when you invite them to church? And they go, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons in their mind is because they have a story or an experience of some Christian or some prominent Christian or some Christian leader or a pastor who's harmed them because of his life and the way he carried himself. There's another scandal, oh, this pastoral abuse. Many of you, as we've been sharing and talking in the hallways, this is real life. You have wounds and scars as to why you're struggling to even be in a church. So Paul is warning us. So don't do it this way. Don't put a brada in there that's not ready. A hastiness to a point. But here's the thing. I just want to press into it. It's going to harm the man. He's going to fall. And he's going to be shamed. And the devil is going to have a field day with him. If an immature believer has too much prominence, you know how tempting that is? A brother can struggle with all sorts of temptations. He's going to try real hard to be accepted. He's, just, he's too insecure in his security of Christ. He can't handle that. So don't put him there. What must we do? We just, as a family, we just mature together. We grow something, something I just realized recently as I've been praying, because there's been men in our church who are aspiring for the pastorate, and I love it. Young men in our church who are contemplating the call, and I love it. But because to appoint a man too soon could be a recipe for disaster, sometimes to hold a man back is the most loving and caring thing to do. And remember, church... We're bringing it to a close. Reputation is not just about reputation. It's bigger than that. It's about the name we bear. It's about the glory of Christ. So, as we bring all these things together, as we've studied from verse 1 to 7 now, I hope and pray that all of us have a healthier understanding of what you think of, When you think of the pastor, when you think of the pastorate, holiness, Christ-like character, he handles the word of God right. He teaches sound doctrine. He's a family man. He lives it well in his home. He loves his wife. He's faithful to her. He loves his children. He nurtures them well to the best of his ability he's humble he has humility and this last one in the community he has honor now again we look at this and this is a breath this is a this is breathtaking right it's a fearful thing so again aspire all these things as we've studied through the pastorate check our own hearts But understand this, you being now understanding this, you and I, whether I'm a pastor or not, just being a part of this church, we're all going to work together to mold and shape and teach and admonish one another that by the grace of God, when he sees fit, he'll touch men, he'll touch leadership, and they'll be raised up from among our own, and they're going to be equipped and qualified, and man, oh man, it's going to be so, so So, 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 so good. So good. I want that. Don't you want that? Let's be a church ohana that loves character. Let's be a church ohana that holds one another accountable. I hope there's amens in your soul. I don't want to fake this. You want to just act like? Is it enough for you to pretend to be a Christian? Or do you want to be the real deal and taste the real thing? You know, Hebrews says, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. Oh, taste it. See. Seeing him is everything. And it begins with holiness that we are called to and we can achieve. Why? Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives through me. This is attainable in Christ. Oh, I see it. I believe it. I could see the Lord raising up mighty men and women of God to lead our church in this life and the next generation if he doesn't come for another 100, 200, 500,000 years. Oh, that Nu'uanu Baptist Church, we would heed these warnings and know the pastorate well, know the weightiness of it, feel it, and then participate in shaping it, affirming it, and sending it on. Ephesus needed to be careful, full of care in choosing its leaders. Right? They've been through a lot. This, is a, this, is a, this church was spiritually abused. This church had bad leadership, bad teaching. They got scars and wounds. They needed to be careful in who they select as their next elders. And NBC, so do we. So do we. You know, just a little history story. Um, our church, your church here. The deacons would call it the dark ages. There's a time in the life of our church for about a decade, we were in and out of pastors. And there were some seasons where we were pastorless. You know I, know, I understand there's a lot of churches in our convention, in our state, even in the world that are pastorless. But to just hastily force someone into the office just for the sake of it, I'd say is more dangerous and damaging. We've got to put the right men there. And by the grace of God, we're going to do it together. And by the grace of God, we celebrated our 80th. And now we're no longer pastorless. We have three. And I pray it doesn't stop there. That that would be the minimum for Nukuanu. Because pastors, deacons that will see, all church leadership, all members, all gifts of grace to the church. But let's know how to do this and grow in godliness together. Amen. Let's pray. We'll sing. And I do want to ask you to... As you muse over your reflections and your notes, think of the outsiders. Think of the things that the Holy Spirit brought to mind. Don't let it run away. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. And see to it that we follow through when we leave this place. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we pray for our pastors. We pray for our members in this church. We pray for this whole church, Ohana, and all churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that though the enemy came to steal kill and destroy and though throughout the generations he has always had a bull's eye on the pastor's back and time and time again from one age to the next he has sought out to cut under the feet of the church's leaders every time you have been faithful you've been faithful you've always raised up more workers And you're raising them up right now. All of us, I pray that we would be awakened to the reality that we get to participate in redemption right now tonight. We have the chance to be a part of a redeeming grace. Despite our backgrounds, despite our baggage and the wounds we carry. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray for the soul this evening that has been scarred by a lack of leadership in the church. I pray for the brother or sister who has yet to taste what healthy, good biblical leadership looks like. And we pray, oh God, that you would grace our church here to be an example of what this text says. We know there's a lot to do. We know we have a lot to work on in our character. But God, would you continue to breathe a humility in this church that we would love learning and love learning together. So grace us, God, with more pastors and more deacons, more active members who will participate in the shaping of this leadership, all to your glory. We love you, God. Wake us up and help us to rise up and do this. You're coming, and you're coming soon, sooner than we know. Help us to get to work now. Praise be to God that the gates of Hades will not overcome your church. And We pray this in your name. Amen Jesus is now
0: my great- are fixed on you, Jesus, and the world looks at us, let us be lights in the darkness, just as you were, Lord, your perfect example, let it captivate our hearts and mimic and follow you, in your name, amen, go out and be lights.